This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Wednesday, September 28th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's what you need to know today. The White House hosts its first summit on hunger in more than 50 years. How food delivery services are playing a role. But first, a catastrophic hurricane threatens Florida. That's today's one big thing. Hurricane Ian's not expected to make landfall in Florida until this afternoon, but the impact of this catastrophic Category 4 storm is already being felt across a huge swath of the state. From flooding in Florida's southernmost tip of Key West to tornadoes in Broward County and wind gusts already kicking up this morning in Tampa. Ian already wiped out power across all of Cuba on Tuesday. This massive storm is the ninth of this hurricane season. Axios's Ben Montgomery is at home in Tampa. Hey, Ben, how are you doing? Hanging in there, thanks. You know, when I think about this, as our listeners know, I'm from Miami. It takes eight hours to drive out of the state of Florida when you're from Miami. The idea that this storm is affecting everywhere from Key West to Tampa Bay And the Atlantic coast, that's how big the storm is? Yeah, it's massive. I mean, if you look at the thing on the satellite, it easily consumes uh, half the state of Florida. This is a big storm, 400 miles wide. And this is also a slow-moving storm. How long could this go on? A couple of days. You know, they're expecting it uh, sometime on Thursday after it makes landfall Wednesday night, sometime on Thursday to make a turn uh, to head more toward the Orlando area after making landfall, I think, around the border of Lee and Charlotte counties. It could be with us a couple of days. You know, Tampa Tampa Bay sits right on the north of that. But I think right now we are, my neighborhood, uh, people who live along the Hillsborough River and along upper Tampa Bay, we are Very grateful. It's unfortunate for our friends to the south, but we're very thankful that this storm appears to be making landfall south of us because that saves us from what could have been a massive storm surge. They were predicting anywhere from 7 to 10 feet in storm surge in the Tampa Bay area. So we've we've, uh, dodged a bullet with this one. Ben, can you just explain the storm surge aspect of this and the fact that this is actually possibly a danger for both coasts? Yeah, well, everywhere there's a tributary sort of south of the storm, which, as we know, you know, the Everglades are down there. And they serve and have long served as a natural protector against hurricanes. Uh, But every tributary, you know, water is flowing off of the peninsula. It's flowing down toward each coast. And so depending on how a, a hurricane approaches a tributary, you know, water can can go one of two directions. It can go back up or it can come out. And when storms push water up into tributaries, well, everyone who lives sort of in the in the basin, in the the region where, you know, where the water drains into those tributaries, then they stand the risk of facing storm surge. We've been building our homes higher for many decades now, but uh, there's still lots and lots of properties that are prone to to major floods with with surges like this. 
And forecasters, meteorologists, experts tell us uh, that, you know, that's the biggest killer from hurricanes. It's floodwaters and storm surge versus uh, the high-speed winds. So what we're looking at this morning still is 140-mile-per-hour winds hitting land at some time, middle day today. That is incredibly dangerous for the people south of here. For people in Tampa Bay, too, we're, we're going to feel... Uh, those winds as well, but um, just avoiding that storm surge is a, is a big thing for, you know, the 3.2 million people in this region. Right. We're going to be seeing lots of people without power, tornadoes possible, especially as a storm then heads up through the central part of the state in Orlando. Axios is Ben Montgomery, part of our local team in Tampa. Ben, stay safe. Take care. Will do. Thank you. More than two and a half million people in Florida are under evacuation orders this morning. For some, public shelters are the only option. Elisa DeGregorio is one shelter manager in Pinellas County who talked to us about the vulnerable nature of residents coming to shelter there. Our shelters are all open regardless of how many people show up. We'll just continue to um, de- you know, designate space for those folks and you know, it'll get a little tight and snuggly, and we'll go from there. But the shelter's doors don't sh- don't ever close. Thanks to Axios' Ayurella Horn-Mueller for that audio. And tomorrow, we'll have more on how people who are already having a hard time paying food bills prepare for a hurricane. But after the break, how technology companies are taking part in the White House Conference on Hunger. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boodoo. During the pandemic, as hunger worsened in the U.S., food banks and pantries relied heavily on delivery services like DoorDash, Instacart, and Amazon. This year alone, DoorDash made more than one and a half million food bank deliveries in 49 states in the District of Columbia. Today, the White House is hosting its first conference on hunger since the Nixon administration. The goal is to end food insecurity by 2030, and these food delivery services will be part of that conversation. Axios' tech policy reporter, Margaret Harding-McGill, has been covering this story. Margaret, when we look at the numbers, in 2021, one out of every 10 American households experienced food insecurity, and they might be interested to know about the role food delivery services have played as we've seen hunger worsen in the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, I think the pandemic just really revealed what the need is. I remember, and I'm sure you do too, watching images on the news of families sitting in cars in lines for hours at mass distribution sites because they could no longer go inside to pick up their food. So they would just sit in their cars and hope for a delivery. So some of these delivery services have helped address that issue to the point that some food banks are actually shifting their models from those mass distribution sites to relying more and more on home deliveries. And it's not just an issue from the pandemic as well. One person I talked to said that when gas prices spiked, 
it was just not possible for some families to sit in an idling car for hours waiting for food. In in these cases, uh, getting a free delivery from a food bank solves that problem. And so what are the other food pantries and other organizations working on this? What are they saying about delivery services? I know you heard in particular about DoorDash. The feedback I got was that repeatedly people told me they were a godsend because the food banks know the need is there and they also feel like they are reaching populations that they couldn't reach before. Seniors who are homebound, parents of young children where the idea of just getting all the kids in the car and getting them to a place just feels insurmountable. Or people who have to isolate because of illness or they're recovering from surgery. Those are all groups that may need food but are challenging to reach without delivery. And you know, I think there are certain stereotypes around the people who need services from food banks, but a lot of Americans experience food insecurity, including Americans with college degrees. It cuts across all different walks of life. And I think that there's some shame and some stigma associated with going into a food bank and what your neighbors will think if you're seen coming in or out of there. That goes away if you just have a DoorDash delivery at your house. Um, They call it delivering with dignity, and I think that that really helps expand these services to more people. One food bank I talked to said that they, she was relying on her husband loading up his truck and driving around before they started working with DoorDash to do these deliveries. And now they make about 6,000 deliveries a month using DoorDash. And who pays for that? DoorDash is donating these services, which makes me wonder how long they can really do this for free. When I asked them that, they said that they're also looking to partner with other organizations because it's unrealistic for DoorDash to do all this work on its own. Margaret, how much of the conversation today at the White House will be about these food delivery companies and in particular what advocates are hoping will happen in Washington to help make things easier for them? They're hoping that policymakers will consider easing regulations to make home delivery services more feasible. For example, a senior program in Pennsylvania requires seniors to show ID for every single delivery. Now, a DoorDash driver, a Dasher, can wait and see the ID and go on their way. But other delivery services where they just want to drop off a box of food can't really wait around for somebody to show their ID. So they're hoping that maybe that could be eased so that it's possible for more delivery services to take part. Margaret Harding-McGill covers tech policy for Axios from Washington. Thanks for joining us, Margaret. Thank you. That's it for us today. For the latest breaking news on Hurricane Ian, you can visit Axios.com. And for all of you who are in its path, please stay safe. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you back here tomorrow morning. I want to tell you about a podcast from Slate, A Word with Jason Johnson. The show shines a light on the facts, the history, and the reality of how race plays out in our politics and society. Every Friday, political commentator Jason Johnson brings his sharp analysis to discussions about America's challenges around race and ideas on the way forward. Subscribe to A Word with Jason Johnson from Slate wherever you listen to podcasts.